0: I like making titles for talks. I think it's a it's a fun practice. So tonight's title for this exploration together is The Art of Unsticking. The Art of Unsticking. Uh, practices, techniques to work with emotions. Yeah. So I um, recently some of you were there, was teaching with James, this really fun, sweet retreat on um, devotion. We called it devotion to the sacred. It was a, some of you, I recognize that you were there. Um, and while we were there, we were in the bottom community hall and there's a upper retreat hall. Um, two monastic teachers were there <clears throat> and um, we got to hang out with them at night and we were talking about devotion with them and Aya Santachita. Have you have any of you heard that her listen to her teachings? She's a little fierce teacher. She's fiercely compassionate and wonderful. Recommend checking her out. She lives in Marin, actually. Um, she has a, a loka vihara. You can visit her. Receive teachings from her. So we were ta- she was talking about, we were talking about practice and devotion. And we were were talking about how sometimes devotion uh, or just openings in general or faith or love of practice um, can be so strong when we start practice, just like all fired up with that stuff and like feel so open and want to practice and tell everybody about it. And just practicing every day is so easy and it's, like that and um and then some somewhere along the line that changes (laughs) and it kind of fades and and where did that go and and she has this lovely she she calls it the honeymoon phase and the kitchen sink phase which I thought was funny um so she was talking about it as a description of like the kind of you know arc or you know the just kind of the way practice unfolds, like there's a honeymoon phase, and then there's a kitchen sink phase. And I've been thinking about it a, a lot lately. And I've been thinking, I think we have these honeymoon phases and kitchen sink phases all the time in our practice, actually. It's not just, oh, it starts and then it's all work. I think that's the nature of practice. I know that that's how it is for me, is that I'm going along and then something happens and I have an insight and something's clear and I'm like rocking that insight for a while. And it makes so much sense. And it feels like, gosh, it's always going to make this much sense. And I I got it. It's so clear. I see it, whether it's impermanence or whether it's gratitude or um, anything, anything, not self, you know, any of the teachings, Or or there's a period where it's just like, I feel as though my heart is just dripping with compassion and it's like, oh yeah, this is, this is the new me. I'm just, I'm just this compassionate everywhere. I look, it's compassion. And then, and then it changes. And it's almost like, sometimes I have no idea what compassion feels like anymore. I was like, yeah, has that ever happened to you? (laughs) these kind of things happen to you um so these i'm calling these like little these little mini honeymoons and kitchen fink, sink phases and i've just been curious lately it's like what's happening there what's actually happening there besides just change clearly there's change happening there but what's happening there um What's happening there? Why why is it changing or what's happening to make it change? And also when we're talking about, okay, now we're in a kitchen sink phase, what, is, what does that mean? That means we're doing some kind of work, right? So what is this metaphorical, what are these metaphorical dishes that we're doing here now in the kitchen sink? And this has been really dear to my own exploration these days because coming out of that period, or coming out of that time with James at Spirit Rock, um, I my heart was just blasted open with gratitude, getting to be on the land, teaching in person next to my teacher, getting to spend a whole week together, staying up late at night and listening to music and talking about Dharma and being back in Berkeley where I had lived for so it was just uh, 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 the gratitude was boundless. I mean, my whole heart felt just a heart full of gratitude. And again, it felt like this is how, how would it ever be any different now that it's like this? This is the true way. This is, this is truth. This is good. This, you know, and then of course. It did change. And I came home to Portland in Oregon, and it just felt like everything got small in my heart and in my mind. And it, or it just felt like the just the gratitude left. <laughs> uh, the gratitude left. And I really wasn't sure what exactly in the moment was happening, why it was happening. Um, I could sense, okay, okay, it's fading, uh, but I wasn't actually sure why, what what was really going on, um, what the work was for me to do. It took me weeks to actually see what was going on, weeks. Um, And why it took me weeks was because um, all of a sudden, or not all of a sudden, yeah, over time, a belief had formed that I was a failure for having the gratitude go. So there is all of a sudden this belief going, you have failed, that should have stayed, you know how to, you're better than this, all those kind of thoughts, right? But what was interesting about that belief is that I didn't believe it. So when it came and I saw it, I was like, well, I know that's not true. So because I knew that I wasn't a failure, what was really interesting that happened was I became completely deluded and just pretended that I was grateful. (laughs) And I was like reaching out for gratitude practices and kind of walking around like, yeah, still grateful. I still have that, but that's not what was actually happening. There was actually this kind of sadness that was there that I, I was, it wasn't a push or a pull feeling, but a complete, like, oh, it's not happening. The, the, the realm of delusion, which isn't one that I usually do. I'm usually a pusher puller, push away or, or want something else. And I guess that's sort of in there in the delusion, obviously there's a the little push, but it was really like pretending this is not happening. So it was an interesting exploration um, and it brought me, and I was so confused because that's kind of the nature of delusion it kind of just gets all confusing in there. What's going on if you're not really paying attention um, <clears throat> or willing to feel. And that's really what was happening is I was unwilling to feel that the gratitude had changed and that what was there was sadness that, that it had changed. The sadness wasn't about anything else, but just that it had changed. But I wasn't um, willing to feel that. So, I became really interested after I started noticing that of, okay, so what what is the
1: work here? Um
0: And as I was, just very, in a place of just being very confused, actually. I, I Something had me turn to start exploring everything I knew about working with emotions and realizing, you know what? That's just it. This kitchen sink work, we have all these amazing, wonderful Buddha Dharma teachings, all these practices, but... So much of the heart of the practice here, the real work, I think, is finding a relationship, a healthy, skillful, methodical, and artistic way, and loving, to work with our emotional world.
1: So that's what I want to talk about.
0: That Anytime an insight fades or an opening fades, I think a lot, maybe not anytime, but a lot of the time what's happening is just there hasn't been an emotion that has arisen that is blocking the insight, is blocking um, the, the openness because it's stuck. And some part of us is
1: not willing to feel it.
0: So. Working with emotions, It's the dishes after the honeymoon. It's the laundry after the ecstasy, you know, Jack's book. <clears throat> so, um I'm gonna share three different, I don't know whether they're practices or whether they're techniques or whether they're they methods or any of those different ways of looking or thinking about <clears throat> um, how to how to get in there with the emotional world when it feels stuck. So I'll just I'll name them now. I have names for them. I'm not going to go into them right this second, but I'll just name them so you can hear them. The first one I call unwinding and unbinding. The second one I call bodyfulness. And the third one I call questioning. How am I relating? What am I believing? So Unwinding and unbinding, bodyfulness, and questioning: How am I relating? What am I believing? And it, 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 these are actually ones that I write on lists and put all over because in the moment with emotions, I'll forget. Like, oh, how am I working with this? <laughs> what am I doing here? Uh, and then it will remind remind myself. Okay, oh right, right, right. I'm. What is this technique of unwinding? So these are all inspired by a teacher that I work with, Rob Berbea, no longer alive, but has these beautiful, beautiful practices of working with emotions. Oh, yes. I have a little story uh, to share with you. Some of you may be familiar with this book, Tara Brock's book, Radical Compassion. Yeah. I, I read this a while ago. And this one little, little piece of it really stuck out for me. And I come back to it. I don't know whose story it is. I don't think that Tara wrote it and it's not attributed to anyone, but it's just one of these like Dharma storytelling, you know, stories, teaching stories. So a little story time here. In a distant land, word spread far and wide of a holy man with magic so powerful it could relieve the most severe suffering. But to reach his wilderness refuge and receive his healing, a seeker had to trek through dense forests and over precarious mountain passes. Those who persevered arrived at the holy man's simple hut, exhausted and dirty. After guiding them to a refreshing stream and then offering tea, he'd sit with them in silence, gazing out at the pines and the sky. When he finally spoke, it was to swear them to secrecy about what was next to pass between them. Once they took the vow, the holy man asked a
1: single question. What are you unwilling to feel? Magic so powerful it could relieve the most severe suffering. What are you unwilling to feel? I think it's true. If it's true, If the
0: magic secret to freedom is just feeling our emotions, why do we not want to feel them? All these paradoxes, right? So I think it's just, they're simple. We just have these habitual reactions to to unpleasant and pleasant. So if if an emotion carries unpleasant sensations and and unpleasant stories with it, we don't, of course, we don't want to feel it. It's just the nature of what the mind does, it turns away. If an emotion carries with it pleasant, we want more. And what's really tricky and sticky with emotions is that certain emotions that we think are unpleasant, when we really get in there, sometimes there's something really seductively pleasant about them. Like, you know, if you've ever been angry or resentful, you know, a little like I don't like the suffering that this anger is causing, but I sort of like the the feeling here. <laughs> and that's why we uh, keep it going, even though really we don't want it. So it's tricky. I I have a funny story of, of this. I guess it's funny. It's funny now. But at the time, it was not funny, actually. So we were living in a, we were renting a place a couple years ago in Marin that had rats living in our stove. And um, I was so angry (laughs) about it because our landlord would not do anything about it. And big rats every morning running across our stove and our counters and, you know, all the things that that entails. And it was gross. And it was, well, you know, right? Even now I can just I can feel the anger and the irritation like already. Um, and I had to work with anger. I was so angry, you know, and I have a nine year old child and every morning wake up and clean the counters and, uh, he would do nothing. And every time I, I wrote an email and it was, it was always out of anger. (laughs) Um, nothing would happen, which would make me more angry. Um, it took me months and months and months to one, realize that when I communicated in, in the heat of anger, it didn't help. And that when I communicated not in the heat of anger, it also didn't help. So that nothing I was going to communicate communicate would help. So that if we were going to stay here and we did have to stay there until the lease was out and we were ready to move, I had to figure out a way to, to work with this anger. And I really realized that... I was, I was, something was really pleasant about getting in this rageful state. And when I saw that, it it was really, really helpful to see that when I was in a rageful state, even though there's something like pleasantly just you know, that righteousness that kind of feels good, seductive um, and, and worthy because it didn't feel right, you know, justified, um, I was filling our house with anger. I was just filling all, just filling the walls, like, and, and, and my poor husband and child, you know, it was just like, okay, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing that this person's going to do. Do we want, we can, we are going to be setting our own traps. That's what we can do. So after that, do we want to just be in a rage all day, every day? And, uh, that was helpful to see that my liking of that righteousness was making it grow, making it big, affecting everyone. I learned lots about anger from that time, actually. It was a virtual exploration. Um, truthfully, yeah. So so yeah, we have our habitual reactions that make us want to turn away from from challenging emotions. And we have all this cultural conditioning and familiar conditioning that we have been receiving. Maybe not you, but most of us that, um, you know, not to cry, don't be angry, all these different messages we're receiving from the culture, from our families. And and me too, I'm a parent. And I noticed just last year, my kiddo, I was driving in a car home from Little League and he, or some sport and he was, um, yeah, just furious with the umpire in the backseat, you know? And I had had a long day and he was just, raging in the backseat and how the umpire was wrong, you know, and he's little. And I can remember in that moment, just saying, Oh, right. It's enough. Can you stop? Please just stop. And basically what I was just saying is your anger, your disappointment, your rage, uh, your sadness, your upset does not belong here. Stop it. And actually, as we were driving along, I saw that right after I said it. And, it, and luckily I could catch that. And oh, I'm doing that. <laughs> I'm doing the thing I do. I'm creating this conditioning for him. And I just stopped and I said, you know what? It's okay. It's okay that you're mad. Um, and I just said, you know, the difference, what, what we don't want to do is we don't want to hurt people when we're angry. So we don't want to lash out at the umpire. Uh, in person or in the car, you know? So how can we feel our our anger and also um, take care of one another? And so I think that the last kind of reason, last reason I'll just throw out there um, where we get into, uh, I shouldn't be feeling this, it's not okay to feel, is actually in some of the Buddhist languaging of, you um, whole this wholesome and unwholesome states or afflictive emotions, afflictive states of mind. Uh, we can misinterpret it. I know I have many times misinterpreted like, oh, so anger is unwholesome or fear is unwholesome or greed is unwholesome. Um or anger is afflictive, you know, fear is afflictive. And uh, so that can make me think, oh, so then it's wrong. I, I need to be getting out of this as quickly as possible. Yeah. But um be emotions become afflictive or unwholesome when we're stuck in them, right? When they're running the show, uh, when it's the mind state that has filled the mind, the heart and the body, and we're unaware of it and we are thinking, speaking and acting from it. That's when certain emotions become problematic, afflictive and unwholesome. So those words, we have to, we have to, you know, inquire into them a little bit and see, um, Are we really understanding what the Buddha is talking about there?
1: Like I think of the rat story. That's
0: like, of course, of course it got angry. Of course a mother would get angry about (laughs) rats in her stove. Like that's a, a completely appropriate emotional response to that situation. But filling the house with anger was the afflictive quality where it affected everyone and was harmful to myself and everyone else.
1: Hmm. So then what
0: is the what is the way we want to hold emotions? What is the story we want to t- tell ourselves? What is the intention we want to have around emotions? So to create the ground before going into these practices, just to say the ground here that I'm thinking about is that we want to have a full range of emotions as humans that like, you know, the color spectrum, the Roy G. Biv. I picture that it's like this Roy G. Biv color spectrum of emotions that they're all They're all part of the human experience. Um, They're the stuff of what poetry is made of, of the best music out there, you know, the best paintings,
1: the best books. That's what makes beautiful connection. It's what puts us on the
0: path. So just right now, even before even before going any further, can you can you just bring to mind your your one of your favorite poems, or your favorite works of art, or your favorite band or song, or painting or
1: sculpture? Can you sense the? emotionality that it was birthed from.
0: You sense the emotionality that it lights up in you just right now as you're sensing into it. Yeah. So we need, we need this full range of emotions to have this full human experience and to be able to write good songs and good poems, you know. But we want, we want to allow emotions to be dynamic and by dynamic, like we want to allow them to be moving, to not be stuck, to just arise and pass, um, to give us their hit of creativity, you know, whatever, you know, Little wisdom they have to offer, creative hit, and 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 be able to move on. So how how to do that? <laughs> how do we do that? Um, so Rob Berbea, this teacher, I talk about a lot. Um, a, a quote that he said that that I find really really helpful is: working with challenging emotions, the energy of mindfulness has to be greater than the energy of the emotion. So when these emotions, with these challenging emotions, they're big, you know, depression is big. It has a, it carries a big energetic energy. It takes a lot of energy to be depressed. Actually, you know, it takes a lot of energy out of us. Same with fear, with angry, they're, they're big, they're heavy. So how do we, How do we work in such a way that we can grow the mindfulness to be bigger than the energy of the emotion? So unwinding and unbinding, this is the first of practices. And this is just, I just find this so helpful. So take an image of a tightly woven braid or a tightly woven rope. It's just it's thick, but if you look close, there's all these strands. A rope has all these different strands. It's tightly woven. A braid, you know, has strands. Okay, so let's take um, the emotion of fear, and we'll we'll imagine that it's a braid or a rope. I use braid. I don't know. Maybe it's because I braid my hair a lot. But other people really resonate with the rope image. So whatever works for you so there's this braid or this rope and you start, it's very thick, but if you start unwinding the, the strands, you start to see, oh, here's fear, but here's also longing.
1: Here's exhaustion. Here's, um, wanting here's
0: uh, hurt. Here's sadness. Maybe there isn't that many, but maybe there is. Maybe there's, maybe there's just two. Maybe there's doubt and hunger <laughs> or tiredness. You know, and just doing this, starting to see what else is here, and start to open up and create a little more space. And then once we start unwinding and unbinding this rope, this braid that was so thick and all together, um, as we see, okay, maybe there's three different strands here. There's hurt, there's disappointment, there's sadness. Which one of these strands now wants my attention, wants the mindfulness? And just with loving awareness, we can tend one at a time to each of these strands. Do you ever notice that a fear just feels like, fear but what what what's the doorway into that or especially you know with depression I'm like especially with depression because depression can be a um like a heavy blanket covering everything it feels like there is no feeling sometimes, right We start to tease the braid of depression oh, there's anger here actually and there's disappointment and there's some anxiety. Okay, oh yeah, no wonder I'm depressed. I don't wanna feel any of those, okay. But can I I feel one of them now? Is one of them workable? So wanted to share a story of someone who was a practitioner that I was working one-on-one with and we were working with some of these practices. And she came to me uh, very troubled, very worried about something, she said that um, she had been doing a in a class doing a loving kindness practice, and she she could not find anything to love, and she was so upset and really really worried about about what this meant, um, and she came and she just I feel completely closed. My heart feels completely closed. And so uh, it was that kind of sense of stuckness of like heart completely closed. okay, what what can we feel? What can you feel there? It feels very thick. So I, so I said, okay, well, what, what does it feel like now? What Does that feel like in the body? That feeling of closeness of heart closed? And she said, well, it feels like, um, it feels like I'm just t- I have a, and I, this was before I said anything about any image of a braid or a rope. She said, I feel like I'm wound up all around my heart and around my, my core and my belly just feels wound up tight. And I said, okay, yeah. Okay. So let's, what happens? Take this image of, of this, you're wound up Imagine that, yeah, that you're a rope and there's a rope all around you, you know, if you start unwinding these different strands that are winding you up, can you, can you do that? Can you start unwinding? And before I even asked what these strands could be, she said, oh yeah, I, I can, I see that they're starting to fray. So just even just working with that image, some, some space started to happen. I said, what are, if you were to name those different strands, what, what would you what would you say is going on there? And she said right away, it was very easy for her to name. Oh, there's hurt. There's sadness
1: and there's disappointment. Mm.
0: Okay. Does it seem like one of those would, uh, be calling out to you for attention right now in some way you're willing to feel one of those and she said yes hurt i want to feel hurt okay so where do you feel that
1: that hurt and she said i feel it right here in
0: my heart okay what's it how would you describe it what is it like what does it feel like and she just was a little quiet and said well just feels like a piece of black coal in my heart. When people offer up images very, uh, and for me when in in this kind of meditative out loud experience, I just go with it. I'm like, okay, so we have an image here. Let's kind of work work this emotional awareness through image now. Um, And so I said, what would it be like if you, could you just I don't know. See if this works. Could you uh, reach into your heart and put that coal in your hands and just hold it? And she, she did that and she held it and I said, what do you want to do with that? And she said, oh, I just want to throw it. I said, okay. just imagine that you throw it. She, and she threw it. I said, okay, well, what does that feel like in your body right now? And she was just very
1: quiet. oh, she she noticed that in her heart, it was complete spaciousness
0: warmth. I said, do you have the impulse or or like desire to put anything in there right now, or does it feel good just being empty? She, yeah, no. It wants to be empty. This feels really good. And what happened next was so, deeply profound to witness that feeling of spaciousness and warmth in her heart, um, just, just filled her body. And I watched with my eyes, her whole being go from completely closed to completely open, just completely open. Even now sharing this with you, I can remember how it felt in my body when I was witnessing and it. it was so, so powerful. We just stayed there. And I just said, yeah, would you just like to let it fill your body? Could you just, and just every few moments I would check in, what are you noticing now? She didn't use the word bliss because I don't think that's a word you know that she used, but what she was describing was what I, that would be the word that I would use. And, and then her face started to change. And as we were talking more, she just, her whole face lit up. And this was a while that we just really stayed quietly in, in this place where she just felt this openness. She could feel it in her whole body. And I, and I, and when it was time to transition and, and come out of that space, I'm like, before you look at me, um, maybe just, look out your window just for a moment and she she had a skylight and she looked up and and just watched her look at her window and her whole face just and i said what do you see (laughs) what are you seeing right now and
1: she said i just see the trees you just see the trees and i just said do you love those trees (laughs) She thought about it for a minute. She said, yeah, I do. I do love those
0: trees. She went, and this was maybe 15, 20 minutes of this exploration into feeling what was there. She came in just with this belief that maybe her heart was never going to open again, that it was closed, that there was nothing to love. And then just through this process of being invited to tease apart the different strands of what could be there, unwinding and unbinding, she started to feel her. And that was only one strand that she felt. There were still two others that she could still, you know, witness and explore at another time. Just through the process of feeling that, really feeling it in the body and the heart. Transformation complete opening and in the time following she had you know I, I wrote to her and i said would you would it be okay if i shared this story and uh she said she's shared more and more ways that it keeps continuing to open So another thing to to highlight that happens here with this practice of teasing out the different strands, maybe a word that you might resonate with is differentiation, like seeing the different things that are going on here. I like unwinding and unbinding, but you might like the word differentiation, (laughs) different things actually happening within this big thing, this big, big fear, or this big, big depression. Something that happens as we look to see the... The different um, things to strands to tease out is that curiosity is ignited. Oh, what's here? What else is here? And when that curiosity is ignited, the energy of curiosity. I'm doing it right now. I'm leaning forward. Right. This is the gesture of curiosity. What's happening? So when we're leaning in with curiosity, when we're getting closer to see what's happening, there's interest. We are not pushing away. Can't do both at the same time, really, can you? I don't know. I've never tried to be curious and also push away. Uh, maybe we can, probably. You can do all kinds of things. But yeah, I think generally this this asana, this gesture towards leaning in, being curious what's happening, uh, what's really here, um,
1: softens the aversion the pushing away. Oh my goodness, I'm looking at the time. Too many good stories here. Well, I'm just going to
0: see what happens. I'll just keep going. I'm not going to... Change anything at this moment. Okay, so bodyfulness is practice number two. Um, Maybe I won't talk so much about this. You can kind of see in the story that I shared how, as I was guiding her into feeling it, the question over and over again is how are you noticing this in your body? How are you noticing this in your body? I think we get stuck a lot with emotions because we think we're feeling them when really we're cognitively trying to figure out why. They're there. Who's to blame <laughs> for this, right? Um, so we're getting, we we think we're exploring, and actually we're just we're we're in in the thinking mind, which is so sticky, right? So naturally we kind of get stuck in there. And when we can really just bring our awareness into our body, what happens? bringing attention, attention being the quality of this mind right into the body that the mind and the body come into the same place at the same time. This is presence. And when the m- mind and the body are in the same place at the same time, generally, let's just say generally, maybe not always things are more workable.
1: So we kind
0: of shift to why is this happening? Who's to blame? What does it, what does this mean about my childhood? All these kind of places we go, why, why, why this thing, um, to w- what does it actually feel like right now <laughs> in the body? What's actually happening right now in this experience? Um, one of the things I'm doing right now is guiding, uh, through cloud Sangha, a whole the whole sangha just on the practice of rain. And some of you have probably heard about this practice. Yeah. Most of you, um, Tar Brock, it, you know, it did not create it, but is, is really bringing it out there in the world. And I know that James does too. And this acronym, you know, recognizing what's happening, allowing what's happening, investigating what's happening and the great debate over whether and should be non-identify or nurture, but we can set that down. Um, because the one piece I'm going to speak about it is that um, someone in this group was asking the other day, every time I get to the eye of investigate, I plateau. I'm no longer really able to feel what's going on. What's happening? Why is that happening? I think if, if we, and she said, um, if I start asking, you know, what is this about?" or what is underneath this?" When those kind of questions, well, sometimes might lead to a great kind of opening or understanding, most of the time get us in this thinking loop. And yeah, we plateau. We stop being able to feel. So if we're investigating, or practicing rain or any, any kind of emotional inquiry, it really it really is most helpful if we're investigating what is happening
1: in the body. It's a magic tool to working with emotions, body, 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 body. I'm gonna to read to
0: you a little, one of the teachers who really inspires me in, in somatic practice is, she is La, Willa Blythe Baker, Lama Willa. She wrote this book, The Wakeful Body. And she talks about how when when she started practice, and she has done many. she's a Tibet, Tibetan teacher who's done many um, three three year retreats, as the tibetan Tibetan tradition does. Um, she was really practicing for a long time to transcend the human experience, transcend emotions, transcend everything, just like wake up, you know, transcend upwards this great opening. Waking up, (laughs) waking up, you know, and now she said she she's a a somatic practitioner now and she she really says, I see it now as a practice of waking down.
1: I have come to think
0: of the Buddhist path is not a path of waking up, but a path of waking down. The path of waking down does not
1: transcend it metabolizes you don't need to leave anything behind in fact you cannot leave anything behind because your humanness is part of you and my aside here is this humanness is is our emotional world
0: rather on the path of waking down you are experiencing What you are experiencing right here and right now is enough. It's more than enough. The here and now is the very stuff of liberation. Oh, it's so poetic, but in the heat of fear and anger, that does not get true. (laughs) That does not feel like this is not my path of waking up. Mm -hmm. So we hold it all with compassion because it's not easy. This this is why it's the kitchen sink, right? Washing the dishes is not necessarily the easiest thing to do after a day of work. So this last, um, there's so much more to say about body practice, but I'm going to set that one down for now. Just to have this last piece here of practice, I call it the practice of checking in with how am I relating to this? and what am I believing? Two questions uh, to inquire about that can also widen the, the scope of what we're being mindful of. So usually when we're checking in with being mindful of emotions, I think that the usual mode is what's happening in my body. Can I recognize what's happening in my body? Like I was just saying, and all the different feelings and, um, And sometimes that's not enough. And why is that not enough? And someone recently was asking, every time I try to feel an emotion, I just get sucked back into it. Do you ever notice that, that happening? So what's happening there? Why does that happen? What's happening there, we just get sucked back into it, is that We're not, we can be mindful. We could be able to note and name, okay, there's sadness here. We might be able to note and name. I feel it as this big swelling and welling up in my heart and there's tears and my throat is closing down. But what we might not be able to recognize is that I'm, the way that I'm relating to this right now is that I'm pushing it away or the way that I'm relating to it is I have some kind of belief going on that is feeding it. Like maybe with sadness. I know this sometimes with myself that's really interesting is I'll have a belief with sadness that this is good. This is cathartic. And when I have that belief going, it will just keep the sadness going. And I have to check in. Oh, okay. Is that belief actually serving right now? Do we need to keep this, this grief, this sadness or whatever it is going? So the first one really, like what, what um what's my relationship to it? Am I pushing it away? Am I ignoring it? Or am I uh, keeping it going? And as soon as we as soon as we can recognize this, there is a very natural um i know for me when i can really see oh and for me and I, that story i shared about my gratitude passing when i finally saw that i was deluding myself when i finally saw oh you just don't want to feel sadness cuz what you want is gratitude the whole thing softened and the whole thing opened. (laughs) The whole gratitude came back. Once that, that little, that little sadness was okay to be there. Once it didn't have to be ignored anymore. it was like, oh, okay. It's just sadness, not a failure. It's just sadness. That's all it needed. It just needed to be allowed and not, not, not just the sadness needed to be allowed, but also the relationship needed to be seen, that there was a turning away, a pretending it wasn't happening. When I could allow that to be there too, yeah, the whole thing moved. It moved.
1: It moved.
0: Allowing, allowing, not just allowing what's happening because you don't really need to allow what's happening. It is happening. It's there. It's already happening. But allowing, allowing the relationship, and by seeing the relationship, you're allowing the relationship. And then in this really funny paradoxical way, the relationship softens. And that's what mindfulness is. That's really what mindfulness is. Allowing whatever is here to be here without needing to change it. And in that allowing, it just does change.
1: Just does. All on its own.
0: And that's a very simplistic way of saying it. We have all these other beautiful tools that we can bring in to help help things move, like all these resources of the Brahma Viharas, compassion, you know, all these different other things. But I'm keeping it a little simple here. When this emotion is here, what am I believing about myself? What story am I believing about myself?
1: To check in with that um,
0: can be very helpful. I'll I'll close with just sharing this this last story. Hopefully I can fit it in here. I was working with someone who um, was experiencing some, some, some betrayal trauma of a relationship that had ended, really was in some grief around betrayal and, um, she's, she's a practitioner. She was working a lot with rain. She was like, yeah, working with rain. I I found this belief that I, um, that I, I don't know if I can, if I can trust my choices, this person that I was with now, I don't know if I can trust my choices. And a lot of times when we touch a belief, like I'm not worthy or unlovable, like something starts to soften and, and like that, the, the self-compassion can sometimes just very naturally open. But in this situation, it was like the belief itself was so sticky. It was like, she had to figure it out. Is that true? And, and if so, what does that mean? And what do I do about it? And it was just, it was so believable. And with, with the believability of that, that story, she was stuck. And so I just really asked her, okay. So when you're asking yourself, can I tr- can I trust myself to make good choices? When you ask yourself that, does that feel like a helpful question? Does it really really honestly like does it does that lead you to some kind of answer about what what you should be doing right now? Does, is it a helpful question? And she she really thought about it and she said <laughs> No, <laughs> she just knew right away. Okay, no. All of a sudden, it was like okay, and it just it it broke the spell of the believability. Oh right, no, no, this belief is not helping. Okay, I was like, okay. So when you have that belief, what is it? What what's going on there? What do you feel? She's like, yeah, I feel scared. It's scary. And then there. Right there, we started to be able to tease some of the strands out there, and we did a whole meditative dialogue, um, in which she could feel the fear in her heart. And then she had an image of herself as a little girl crouching in a basement in a corner. And the fear, I'll just share this image because it was so powerful, turned into a, a big ball of coal. And she, with, with the girl version of herself, walked to the edge of the ocean with the forest behind her. And they, she violently threw the fear in, into the ocean. And she too, like the first story I was sharing, had this after that, just a, a stillness. It's a stillness. And
1: um, she wrote to me a couple days
0: later and said, I'll read you what she wrote. She said, I've been sitting with the image of the girl. And a few days ago, I had an experience of transforming the coal into rose quartz throughout my body. Two nights ago, I was walking by the sea where I had imagined standing with the other scared me. I sat down on a beach and had a good big cry. I looked down on the ground and I saw these acorn tops. I picked them up and I held them a while as they were my fears. And then I felt how my fear was, my fear was strong, but also holding these crevices like the top of the acorn was filled with sadness and deeper grief within the fear. And I realized I was in part judging and rejecting the fear. So I held it and I gave it compassion and I was just seeing that it's, it's just me wanting to be loved. And these little acorns didn't get violently tossed into the sea but are instead sitting on my altar at home. So she just so beautifully described, teasing out the different strands. She saw that the relationship there was judgment, which is pushing, or the relationship was rejecting it, pushing away the fear, the belief, Um, the belief was the, The the judgment was the belief. I shouldn't be having this fear. And rejecting of the fear was how she was relating to it. But here's my favorite part of what she wrote. And it's the perfect place to end in this last one sacred minute we have here together. That she didn't throw the acorn into the sea when she was sitting by the sea. She saw that this whole unfolding was so sacred that it got a place on her altar. I just love that. And it's like where, where we started here, that when we can allow for this movement and we can allow for this full spectrum of our emotional unfolding, all of the colors of the emotion, we can find a way to let them move, tell their story, be felt. It opens us up to the sacred or it opens us up to openness or insight whatever word resonates for you so that the fear became a sacred part of her path that whole practice that whole process was so sacred
1: so meaningful that she wanted to be reminded of it every day when she went to practice Yeah. Pretty cool. Well, we're we're there, we're at the time, and I just want to
0: take this last minute and thank you all for being here together and practicing and, and considering these practices. Yeah. And for supporting one another.
1: It's really supportive to come together and practice together. So we can let that in,
0: the beauty of that for a moment here, just being together. So let's dedicate all of this goodness. Let's just use our beautiful intention to use whatever goodness has arisen tonight in our own practice May it really support each one of us on our journey of allowing our full experience to be
1: perfect.
0: And may this practice we've done and and sharing in community tonight spread and ripple outwards like giant infinite widening circles. In some mysterious way, reach all the corners, all the areas of this planet
1: and beyond. May all beings everywhere be nurtured. May they be protected. May they thrive. And may they live with ease. Deep baths to all of you. Thanks friends. Wishing you sweet dreams and a good day. Mm-hmm.